and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast and become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Yes, even more amazing, exclusive dog training content coming your way over there. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, whether you're a new listener, a longtime listener, if you love the show, do me a favor, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating. Give it a click, Apple Podcast user, Spotify. Make sure you leave me a rating or review. I would really appreciate it, guys. Now, today on the show, we're going back to basics. It's time to talk about that walk again. Yes, the most important part of our dog training, the most overlooked part of our dog training. A lot of good details in there today. Then comes how to make a confident puppy. We all want it. We want a nice, cool, calm, collected, happy, confident dog. We're going to talk about how to make that happen. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media. Any dog training, dog information, dog anything, animal anything, uh, bird, cat, you name it, send it on over. I'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get going with the show today, got to give you that trivia question. And today's trivia question is going to be, on average, how long does the process of metamorphosis take for a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly? Yes, on average, how long is that process of metamorphosis for a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaking Dogcast, back to basics, the walk. That's right, there's nothing more basic than the walk when it comes to your dog training. Look, it's a catchphrase at the end of all of my episodes, get out there and walk your dog. Sure, catchphrase, but the reason I say it is because the importance of it. I cannot stress it enough to everyone out there. You have to get out there and walk your dog. And more importantly, you have to get out there and walk your dog properly, guys. Look, walks are 85% mental and only 15% physical. Did you hear that? 85% mental and only 15% physical. If you put all the focus on the sniffing and then just pulling, and then that's not mental stimulation, guys. That's just a free-for-all. There's no structure. There's no rules. There's no boundaries. That's not what a walk is about. You ever seen a dog out there with their owner? They're right next to their owner. The head's down. They're trotting along. They look like a dog in the zone, right? It's because they are. They're in the zone of the walk, and that's what your dog should look like. I don't care the size of the breed. It doesn't matter, guys. Your dog is capable of walking correctly and walking properly. And the reason why is it's an instinctual, natural, built-in mechanism within their brains. Yes, domesticated wolves, what are wolves? Pack migratory animals. That is why the walk has to be such a large such a large part of your training and a part of your even your daily routine with your dog. Look guys, if you don't wanna walk your dog every day and you don't wanna do it properly, don't get a dog. There's the easy solution. Do yourself and do your dog a favor sorry. Oh, David, that's so mean. Is it? I think what's mean is not providing for your dog. And the walk is one of the most basic ways we can provide for them mentally, physically. I think you're the one being mean. David, you're so mean. Yeah, I am. Okay. All right. So (laughs) I'm over it. Let's move on. 
So the basics of the walk. Look, it, it's tough to even say the base. There's so much that goes into the walk, guys. I could spend three hours on a segment on the walk, honestly. I, I could spend three whole hours just sitting here going on and on and on about it. Um, my first session that I do with clients, you know, the very first session, we spend half that session on dog psychology and all this info and how dogs learn. And then we go and we put it into play on the walk. And then we have to learn about the walk and the leash work and the treats and turning and redirection and all this kind of stuff. And it's a lot of information. It is a lot of information. So there's really no other way to say it, but that there's a lot of information when it comes to the walk. Is it rocket science? No. Is it overly complicated? No. It's just a lot. And you have to change the way you think and the way you do your walk. That's the tough part, putting 20 different new aspects into play, right? And then having to think about those 20 things all at the same time. It's a lot. Okay. Look, the walk, a good walk, a quality walk is going to start well before you leave your house to go on that walk. It does. Most people don't take enough time to create focus with their dogs at the house, especially puppies. They, we, we just, we, we don't. I watch it all the time. People do not take enough time to actually work and train their dogs at home before they ever go for a walk. Now, here's the thing. If you get a puppy under 16 weeks old, you really shouldn't be taking them for too long or walk of walks or really taking them out too much anyway. So why not take advantage of that time and create an awesome puppy at your house with focus and training and commands? And that's, you know, that's what we did with Riker. I got him at 11 weeks old and he had spent a lot of time at the house, of course, in the first few weeks. And he knew by 13, 14 weeks old, he knew, I don't even know how many commands. I mean, crazy. He knew how to focus. He knew how to listen. Those are so important. Those things, right? Listening, focus, commands. Those are very, 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 very important aspects to creating a good walk. So when I tell my clients we have to create a good walk, it starts at the house and it starts with focus. First thing you got to write down, guys, here we go. Checklist. This is going to be number one on your list to create a good walk and a happy walk with your dog. You have to create focus at home well before you leave. All right. We've talked about my kissing noise exercise before. In a nutshell, guys, kissing noise. You make that kissy noise, you call your dog's name, you waft the treat in front of their face, and then bring the treat up below your chin, lock the eye contact, and say, good, and give them a treat, right? Kissy noise, call their name, treat up to the chin, lock the eye contact, two or three seconds, move in, give them a treat, tell them, good boy. Rinse and repeat, okay? If you rinse and repeat that a couple times a day for two weeks, (laughs) you will be shocked how easy it will be to get your dog's focus back. Look, training is all about the ability to guide and direct focus. That's all training is. I don't care what animal, you know, I've worked with a lot of different animals, birds, dogs, cats, you know, everything. And it all comes down to that one tiny thing, knowing where the animal's focus is and having the ability to guide and direct it. Guys, it sometimes is a matter of life and death with certain animals. Look, when I'm working with an aggressive dog, for example, even just that. I better damn well know where that dog's focus is because if it's on me and I'm not paying attention, that's how you get bit, one way. Uh, If you're in an enclosure with a very dangerous large animal, something like a big cat, you know, with tigers and things like that, the number one rule is never turn your back on them. Number two rule is watch those eyes. Uh, (laughs) Okay, know where the focus is. That's the point. Know where the focus is and have the ability to guide and direct it. And the second you lose the ability to guide and direct it, you're in trouble, whether it be dog or tiger, you know, and everything in between, you're in trouble one way or the other. 
So you better have control of your dog's focus before you walk out that door. That's where most people lose out. They don't create focus with their dog. And then it's like, oh, why aren't they listening? Why are they eight feet out in front of me? Because you've never told them to do anything else. You have to give them other information to work with. Or what are they going to do when you get back out on that walk? The wrong thing again, right? So, you know, you guys got to think about these things. You have to think about creating that focus. That was kind of a fun move. Uh, (laughs) You have to think about creating focus with your dog before you go on the walk. Can't stress it enough. That's one of the best ways to create to create success on your walk. Without that, there's just there's no hope. Okay. So again, I could spend three hours on this, and I'm gonna try to not hone in on too many things too quickly or, or too much. <laughs> and it's gonna be tough. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about really quick before we move on is your tools, right? Because if we walk outside with the wrong tools, we're probably not gonna get the result we're looking for. So first thing I want to talk about is what the tools, uh, what tools you should use really quick. Martingale collar, six foot nylon, regular old leash. Get rid of the runaway leashes. Get rid of the harnesses. Guys, just, just stop. Just stop with it. Just stop. I, oh, just stop it. <laughs> every time I go, I, I swear, every time I go out into public, I see these dogs in harnesses and they're just, there's no focus. There's no control. They're pulling their owner over and well, at least I don't have a collar on them. What? What? I, I guess, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> anyway, get rid of that stuff. Martin Gilkeller, six foot regular old leash, maybe a nylon leash, a leather leash, something simple, guys. Stop overcomplicating this stuff. Make it easy for you. You're making it harder on yourselves. Like, I don't know why. Stop making it hard on yourselves. Keep it simple by basic, simple tools. Martin Gilkeller, six foot nylon leash. Now look, we're not going to get too into depth on the Martingale collar today because we're going to talk about corrections. Uh, I think next week is where we're going to we're going to have that conversation. But I want to at least try to simplify it really quick in a nutshell. A Martingale collar is a constricting collar, and the whole purpose of the design is to mimic the way if you guys have ever seen a slip leash, right? That kind of like it's just a rope around you know slips and loosens. It is just a way to mimic a slip leash works. And the whole point of a slip leash is to mimic the way dogs naturally guide and direct and correct each other. And that is with a nip to the neck, right? And so the purpose of these collars is to not pull and hold them. And that's what most people do. They let their dogs pull and the dogs hold. And they think the dog's choking themselves. First of all, if the dog was truly choking themselves, they wouldn't keep doing it. They would stop breathing. So they wouldn't keep doing it if it truly was choking them out. That's the first thing, okay? The second thing is you should never pull and hold these collars. You, just, you shouldn't do it because it can't look. It can cause damage enough of it and, uh, you know, eh. don't do it. Just don't pull it tight. You want to make corrections, guys. Pop corrections. The whole point, you can do it very lightly. It doesn't take much. It's more of a flick of the wrist than anything. But we want to pop correct using these collars. In and out with the collar. A little tension and the tension immediately releases. I'm talking instantly, instantaneously. The second you make that correction is the second you should be releasing the tension, all right? So we're gonna talk more in depth about that uh, on a segment coming up. And like I said, I think that'll be next week. We'll talk about corrections in depth. But I just kinda wanted to uh, gloss over that a moment and just kinda talk about this. So um, we have the correct leash, we have the correct collar. Guys, I only need Two other tools besides poop bags. Poop bags are a tool, but they're not as much, not really a training tool, right? Uh, you got to bring the poop bags with you too. Don't please clean up after your dogs. Um, <laughs> no, we have to have treats in a treat pouch. Yeah, treats in a treat pouch, guys. You got to have it. 
I, I don't want to hear this. Oh, I put them in my pockets. Guys, you're not going to be able to. I've been doing this a long time. You're not going to be able to get a treat out of your. I, I could give you five reasons why you shouldn't use your pockets, and I'm not going to give them. Okay, stop doing it. Listen to the professional and use the damn treat pouch. I've heard every excuse under the sun of why we can't use a treat. I can't use a treat pouch because that's okay. Use a treat pouch. Yes, you can. Stop it. Put put it on. Look super cool like me and and rock it, man. You know, like rock that treat pouch. Come on. Uh, <laughs> All right, treats in a treat pouch. And really quick, a side note on what kind of treats, something small, something meaty. If you want to up the treats a little bit for the walk, you know, if you're having trouble with that focus and you really want to ex- use something like a salmon treat or a duck treat, something that's very oily, right? Duck is very, very oily. Salmon's very oily. Something fishy, maybe. They love that that stinky stuff. That can kind of up the ante sometimes if you need that extra reward out on the walk. So something to think about. Um but again, guys, to me, those are really the four training tools that I need on the walk. I need the proper leash, mar- uh, proper leash, proper collar, martingale collar, a treat pouch, and a nice, small, meaty treat. Okay, no crunchy treats. I don't want to make crumbs and dog gets distracted by it. I want to be able to give them a treat, they eat it, and we move on, right? So, that's it. Those are the only tools you need for the walk. I don't know why people like to overcomplicate this stuff, as I said before. I really, I just don't, don't, don't understand the need for overcomplicating it. All right, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. All right, so really, those are all the tools you need, guys. That's it. That's it to make magic happen. That's all you need. And then eventually, you won't need the treat pouch. Okay, I hear, I hear, you know, I hear, oh, David, I don't want to have to have the treat. You don't have to have the treat pouch on forever if you do it correctly, but you do need it for a while. You do need to be able to reward a behavior with a primary, a form of primary reinforcement, okay? Food is primary, affection is secondary. Simple as that, food is always going to speak volumes over the affection, and if it doesn't, then there is an imbalance in your dog's life. Not going down that road today. Okay, so. <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you, like, do you see, guys, how, how much into this segment we are? And we've talked about training tools, we've tra- talked about creating focus at home with the kissy noise exercise, and we haven't even really gotten outside yet, have we? Yeah, there's a lot of aspects to the walk that you have to think about. But look, if I want to really keep it like uber, like we're kind of like maybe halfway through this, if I want to keep this uber simplified, like really simplified, I need the right tools. That's the first thing, right? Need the right tools. That's number one. Number two, I need focus. I have to have focus from my animal in order to be able to teach them, to train them. Look, it's no different in school. Teachers have to have focus from children. That's part of the reason teachers are having such a hard time because kids don't know how to focus anymore. Um, so we have <laughs> focus. Okay, the right training tools. David, focus. You're having a hard time. Uh, <laughs> the right training tools. Our dog has to know how to focus. All right. The next thing is we have to be able to redirect their focus once we get outside. And if you don't have a mechanism to redirect their focus, kissy noise is one way. Kissy noise is one way. The proper collar is another way. Being able to give proper corrections is another way to be able to redirect focus out on the walk. Now, there's more secrets to it than that that I'm not going to give you all the answers today. Uh, If you're really interested, check out the virtual training programs, guys. Yes, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. We can set up a consultation. We'll talk more in depth about your dog and what's going on, and we can formulate an amazing training program that'll be just for you guys. And, uh, you know, get get your dog under control. Get the walk under control. So feel free to reach out to me, and we can talk more about the virtual training. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to give away all of the secrets today as well as we'll start giving more of those secrets out on the Patreon as well. So once again, be sure you check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash speak a dog cast, become a patron of the show today and get more in-depth dog training information. That's right. Okay. So 
Once we get out on the walk, you, like I said, you have to have a way to redirect it. That's the third thing. And once we have a way, once we can redirect and control focus, well, then you have to have a way to reinforce it. And that goes back to the tools. That's it, guys. If you can do those things, if you can have the right tools, create focus before you go on the walk, have the ability to redirect that focus on the walk through certain mechanisms, and then have the ability to reinforce that redirected focus, you're going to be gold. Because that can literally get you out of anything. Like, right, like, let's go to, uh, let's think. I'm out on the walk and I see a dog coming at me. My dog is maybe showing interest. Well, do you have the ability to redirect their focus? Yes. Okay, do it. Did they redirect their focus? No. Uh, let's try a little different redirection or maybe a correction. Did that do it and redirect their focus? Yes. Are they focused on you now? Yes. Good. Reinforce and strengthen that behavior. Cool. Is the dog showing less, is your dog showing less, less interest in the dog approaching now? Are they keeping their focus with you? Yes, good. Reinforce and strengthen that behavior. Before you know it, your dog is ignoring the dog walking by just by having the ability to guide and direct focus, redirect, and reinforce. That's how simple this can be. Now, I know, like, there's a, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that. But if you can sort of take those basic concepts, those constructs, and put them aside and go, oh, look at that. That's, that's, that's really all it takes? Yes, yes is the answer. All training is, is the ability to guide and direct focus and reinforce behaviors and punish behaviors too. I mean, that's, you know, reinforcement, reinforcement strengthens behaviors. Punishment is going to weaken and decrease behaviors. Okay. It's that simple. It's that simple. It really is. And so if we have a mechanism to create restraint, we have a mechanism, you know, leash and collar. We have a mechanism to redirect leash and collar. We have a mechanism to redirect a second mechanism to redirect kissy noise, calling their name. I have a way to reinforce and strengthen behavior, food and, and affection. You've got everything you need. You have everything you need to fix the walk. It's just applying the information in the right way. This is where I sort of go, this is this is out, this is dog psychology equaling algebra. <laughs> like you guys know, and I say this a lot, you know what's on the other side of the equal sign. It's your dog walking beautifully on, on, on leash, a nice loose leash, right? There's another thing we want to take away. Make sure your dog has a nice U-shape, a nice loose leash, U-shape and leash, okay? That's what you want. That's what you know is on the other side of the equal sign. So how do you get there? You plug and chug, right? That's, that's what uh, algebra is. Solve for Y. Well, I know what X is, so it allows me to solve for Y. You know what X is now. You got it, right? Redirections, reinforcement, treats, the proper tools. All of those things are the variables that you're probably missing or maybe not applying in the right part of the equation. That's where I see this, this kind of equates to an algebra equation. It's very basic, very simple. But think about it like that, guys. You know what's on the other side of the equal sign. So fix your variables or maybe the order the variables are in, either what the variable is, whether or not using treats, not enough treats, uh, maybe bribing instead of reinforcing, not using enough corrections. I'm looking at every single one of you out there. We're talking about that next week. That's done. Done deal. I'm putting it in right now. We're talking about corrections next week. So be sure you come back next Wednesday. We'll talk about those corrections some more. Okay. Um, but again, guys, keep it simple. So let's just rewind a little bit. Let's talk about it. We want to create focus before we walk out the door using that kissing noise exercise. Proper tools, martingale collar, six foot nylon or leather leash. Okay. We're also going to have small meaty treats and a treat pouch. Those are the four tools you must bring with you on the walk every single time. If we create focus before we walk out the door, then it allows us to be able to redirect and keep the focus once we're outside. 
Remember to always reinforce when your dog is keeping focus and paying attention to you. If you feel like you're not getting where you need to and then maybe they're pulling, maybe they're distracted, redirect. Once they redirect to you, reinforce and strengthen that behavior. Before you know it, that undesired stuff, the pulling, the oversniffing, that, it starts to go away and they start kind of checking in with you more and looking up at you and go, hey, do you have something? To, hey, do you have something? Oh, there's another. They, oh, you're going you're gonna to do that. Watch. You, you're going to work through it with another dog like we talked about. You're going to see another dog. You're going to redirect, redirect. And then a couple days later, your dog is going to see another dog. And instead of paying attention to the other dog, it's going to all of a sudden look up at you. And you'd be like, holy crap, David was right. <laughs> Yep, that's right, guys. Okay, so if you take these tips and you implement them correctly, for lack of a better phrase, do what I tell you, uh, <laughs> you're going to see the results, guys. These are the basics of the walk. This is how you get there. Basic building blocks. Take your time step by step, and in no time, you'll have a nice loose leash, and you'll be walking wonderfully with your dog. of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Podcast, how to make a confident puppy. So how do you make a confident puppy? Well, you just send them to me for training. <laughs> no, like there, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just one thing that's going to make your puppy super confident. But the biggest thing you can do, the biggest thing you can do to make your puppy confident is to start training them from day one. Yes, training your dog can give them confidence. It can make them feel more sure, more certain, and safe for that matter. Look, dogs are wired differently than you or I. They are. They are not wired the same as a human being because if they were, we would call them human beings and not dogs and we wouldn't love as, as much as we do because I don't know any dog lover that loves humans more than dogs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The reason dogs are awesome is because they are dogs. Okay. So dogs are wired differently. We have to accept that and not only accept it, but understand it and then follow the rules of, of their hierarchy and how they work. And that's the thing. Dogs, are, there, there's one person who's going to call the shots, one dog, one top dog, and you got to be that top dog. And the easiest way to establish that is to establish rules, boundaries, and training. Training your dog is going to make them more confident. Training your puppy is going to make them well-adjusted. So there's a lot of things that go into this confidence, right? There's definitely different aspects of it. But it's really, it, while, while we're going to talk about the details as well, it really comes down to you as the owner. If you train your dog, if you provide those rules and those boundaries, your dog is going to be happier and healthier. How much happier? Eh, we're not getting into that debate. But the point is, guys, 
That's how you make a confident dog. You be their leader, not their ruler, but their leader. Okay. Okay. So how do, what, what, what training am I talking about? Very basic stuff here. How about just, let's start with something simple. Sitting and staying before they come out of the crate. If we just, I always say the crate is sort of with a puppy. It's like, it's setting the tone. However you let them out of that crate is setting the tone for how the day is going to go, how your interactions are going to go, and how your relationship is going to go. If your dog paws at that crate and goes nuts and woof, 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 and whines and, and paces and, and you just open the door and boom, out they go, you have given them zero information to work with except one piece of info. Act like a lunatic, don't focus on me, and you get whatever you want. So that's where it begins. I don't care if it's a 10-week, 11-week-old dog, guys. They're perfectly capable of sitting still and being calm in their crate. And you have to wait them out. Sometimes it's a matter of waiting them out. If they already know a sit, you can ask for a sit. Stay, get them to calm down a little bit, okay? But something as simple as slowing down the crate. And you can just, well, David, how do I do that? Well, start to open the crate. And if they try to bolt out, shut the crate. Open it one inch. And if they try to put their paw out, you shut it. I hold my hand on the crate and I wait. And they whine and they freak out. And and then they just ignore them. They'll give up. They'll sit down. Once they do, I try to open the crate again. If they get crazy, guess what? Crate door closes. It's called time and patience, guys. That's how you do it, (laughs) okay? Time and patience. That's really what it comes down to, and that's what's going to be reinforced. Like you know, you got to raise your expectations of what your puppy is capable of, and so something as simple as getting them to calm down when you when you let them out of the crate—that's huge. That's huge. It gives them security of knowing, oh, I just relax and I get something. This guy's going to call this. He'll give me something good if I just chill here. Reinforcing that kind of behavior is so much better than just this free for all. And again, if I just set the tone of do whatever you want. What do you think is going to happen once we're outside there? Do you think you're going to be able to get control of that? No. Second exercise we're going to do, feeding time. Having control over feeding time, getting a sit and a stay, and being able to put that food bowl down and not have them just bolt over to it. Not have them knocking it out of your hand because they're jumping up on you as you're trying to put the book. No, control. Okay? We can leash up our dogs. I can even do it in one part, right? I can hear, well, David, I, you know, I'm, I live alone. How do I get him to stay? Leash him up and step on the leash and keep it short. I put the bowl in front of him where he can't reach it. (laughs) It's that simple. He has to wait and relax. Same thing as the crate. He relaxes, I release him, and he gets to get his food. Start creating these control control mechanisms early on in their life, guys, and your dog is going to start looking at you for everything, guidance, anything. So this is how we create a confident puppy, is by... Showing them you have information to offer and it's good information and you're a leader to them. Look, guys, like I said, they're a hierarchy, right? So the problem is if you don't establish yourself as this leader, your dog is going to constantly trying to be battling you. It's going to constantly be battling you for that leadership position if you don't establish it. And this is where we get behavioral problems, okay? It starts early on where this dog doesn't understand Who's calling the shots? And it thinks it needs to try to act out in order to find that place as the, you know, doesn't work so well, does it? It's really because people just don't have expectations for their puppies. Like I said, from the very beginning, you got to have expectations for your puppies that are higher than what you think they're capable of. And then you get them to do it just by holding a crate shut and not giving them their food until they relax. Okay. Now that's the first side of it right? Second thing I want to say is don't baby your puppies, guys. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I want you to snuggle with them. I want you to play with them. I want you to on them. Like, sure. 
But does it need to be constant? No. Does your puppy need to be held and walked around everywhere? No. You want a surefire way to take your dog's confidence away? Carry it around like it's an accessory. (laughs) That is guaranteed to kill your puppy's confidence. I can promise you that. (laughs) Really quick, I want to talk about just something. Um, A lot of times with these puppies or small dogs, right? We start people start lifting them up and holding them all the time, and the dog starts around other people. That err, people think that's overconfidence. And while kind of it is, in fact, it's underconfidence. I just want to, we're not going to get into the details of that today, but really quick, look, I'll breeze over it. Fight and flight, right? Fight is err, I want you to go away. Flight is I'm running away. Either one is what we call an avoidance behavior, right? It's an avoidance behavior. And so they're trying to avoid, and it's sort of a lack of confidence. I'm unsure of you, err, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bite you before you bite me. See, lack of confidence. That's insecurity. Just like people who walk around like this and have to always put on the front, what you looking at, man? You know, lack of security <laughs> in themselves. All right. So anyway, <laughs> getting back to it. Don't coddle your puppies too much, guys. Just don't. There is a such thing as too much of a good thing. You know what I mean? Too much of a good thing. Think about that, all right? No more needs to be said. Don't overcoddle your dogs. Another great way uh, that we can build confidence in our puppies is to let them have experiences. Take them out into the world, guys. If your dog only ever experiences, you know, going to the vet, (laughs) coming home, and walks around the neighborhood and the house, and that's it, it's not going to go very well. Your dog needs to be well socialized, not just with other dogs, not just with people, but environments. Now, of course, disclaimer, make sure your puppy has had all their shots before you take them out into the world. Uh, you got to be careful what you expose them to. Parvovirus is no joke, guys. That's the one that you, it's just terrifying with puppies. It's scary. It can, it can kill a puppy like that. It's, it's not good stuff. So please make sure your dogs are fully vaccinated before you take them out uh, and expose them to too many things. But if your dog has hit that age where they've had all their vaccines, now is the time, guys. Get them into the world and start exposing them to anything and everything you possibly can. Does that mean... You should take your dog into the grocery store. No. Does that mean your dog needs to come to the movie theater with you? No. I'm seeing dogs in too many public places, guys. Like, I'm an advocate for bringing your dogs out into public, but for crying out loud, there's a line. Okay, like the grocery store. It's a healthy... I, God, when I see people putting their little dogs in the shopping carts, it makes me crazy. Do you know your dog's butt is rubbing all over where people's food goes? Like... Ew. <laughs> I love dogs more than the next person, but ew. What, what is wrong with you people? Like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Take your puppies to puppy-friendly places, businesses that encourage you to bring your dogs. Guys, there's plenty of businesses and companies out there that are more than happy to take your take your dog in. <laughs> take your dog in. Yeah, that sounds weird. There you go. Um, look, one of my favorite places to take puppies for building confidence Home Depot and Lowe's. Yes, you are allowed to bring your dog into Home Depot and Lowe's. Uh, Obviously, I'd like to, you know, if you can make sure their house broken, that would help. And if not, please bring stuff to clean up with you guys. Don't make the Lowe's employees and Home Depot employees do that. Um, That's a little side note. Make sure you bring cleanup tools with you. Um, But guys, they're, they're fantastic. They're very, right, think about it. Home Depot is very loud. It's very echoey. There's a lot of different weird smells and sounds and sights. 
uh, taking your dog out into the garden section and letting them climb on the on the you know the the soil that's stacked on the pallet, climbing up on an awkward thing, awkward texture feeling underneath their paws, putting them in like this is the kind of stuff that people are like so what what the hell is the point of that? Guys, it builds confidence. I know this sounds ridiculous. Like I take dogs to playgrounds sometimes and let them run up and down, not let them run up and down, teach them to go up and down the slides because it's awkward. It's a little weird. We do it safely and carefully and leashed up, but we do them to get it over it. Jumping on maybe a picnic table, like up onto the chair, you know, where we sit. Same thing, not up on the top where people eat from, uh, <laughs> but the bench part where we sit down, those kind of things. Because a puppy's not going to be a little trepidatious maybe about it, a little cautious and if you can push them through that, you'll see it. They're like, they almost get excited that they finally do it, that they finally overcome um, maybe what they're unsure of. I think that's a lot of what's wrong with <clears throat> society today is we don't want to be pushed out of our comfort zones. I think getting out pushed out of your comfort zone is healthy and it's necessary. There's no other way to grow. There is no other way for personal growth without being pushed outside of your comfort zone, guys. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. There's no, I don't, oh, my safety, safe, my safe place. No, get pushed out of your comfort zone and be okay with it, guys. Grow from it, overcome it. It's such an awesome feeling to do that. And it, with your dog, it's it's no different. Guys, dog training, dog training has taught me so much about life. I mean, how cliche and ridiculous does that sound? But like, it, Working with animals, it's not just dogs too. It's 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 with with all these different species and being able to see, being able to see the way a bird thinks to some degree, right? You can still see. You can see the patterns they form and the decisions they make. Uh, a, a primate watching the, de- it's humbling and incredible, and it's pushed me sometimes outside of my own comfort zones and my own limits. And it's been such an amazing part of my life to the point that I've wanted to keep making a career out of it. Sure, you know, sure, there's certain aspects of every career maybe you don't love, um, but I, you know, I, I can't say I would trade it for much or anything. I mean, really, it's it's been such an experience, and you know, that's why I just want to make this side note that that's my confidence has grown because of being pushed outside my comfort zone. Look, I can't even. I, some of you might listen to me on this podcast and. You know, sound like what I'm trying to say is it's been. See, see, look at this. It's even trouble for me to to vocalize this. But making a podcast and putting myself out there like this, I don't mind getting in front of people and being a mic. I've done it before in front of you know, a couple thousand people and whatever. But for some reason, like taking information and things you know, and then personal stories and all these things, and really putting them out there into the world, it's it's a vulnerable kind of thing. Uh, and it was a little a little bit outside my comfort zone, and it's been kind of this growth being able to be a little more, you know, honest with people I don't even know and and have these talks and discussions about dog training and then and then people reaching out to me and messaging and that even put me outside my comfort zone. You know, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I, um and I I still fight that battle too, but it's again, I I know I'm getting a little off topic, but at the same time it's very on topic. Thank you all for listening, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because it's helped me grow. It's pushed me outside my comfort zones and my limits to make me a better trainer, hopefully a better person. And every day I strive for a little more. And I hope you guys do too. And so I want you to take that and carry it over to working with your puppy. Make your puppy confident. When, when, when they all of a sudden get to something and they don't want to do it, don't scoop them up and go, it's okay, I'm not going to make you do it. Instead, go, come on, you can do it. Encourage them. Use food, motivate them, 
Get them over those humps. That's what builds a confident puppy, guys. Look, I, I could talk about the socialization and stuff too because it's important. But like, that's what it really comes down to is what we just talked Getting them out of their comfort zone, pushing them through those moments and gaining success. You should do it in your own life and you should do it with your puppy as well. I wasn't expecting to go down a little bit of that road today, but it's true. Be okay being outside of your comfort zone. It's good to be a little uncomfortable sometimes, isn't it? In a way. <laughs> so I hope you guys can take some of that information and, and put it to use with your puppy. Make a more confident dog because there's too many dogs out there that are lacking confidence. I want dogs to feel comfortable in their own skin. I want them to take a leadership. Uh, I want them to take leadership information from you. I want you to be their leader. So be a leader to your puppy. Put them in situations where maybe they don't feel comfortable to push them through it, to make them feel comfortable and make them feel confident. That's what's gonna make a confident puppy. Socialize them with other dogs, socialize them with people, but be their leader and be confident to give them confidence. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on The First Pets, we'll be talking about James Madison. Now, James Madison, he was the fourth president of the United States, serving from 1809 to 1817. A prominent figure in American history, Madison helped to mold a new nation by helping to draft the Constitution, he was the author of the Bill of Rights, and he was a co-founder of the Democratic Republican Party alongside Thomas Jefferson. Now, Madison married later in life at the age of 43 to the widower Dolly Payne Todd, who was only 26 years old. But her sociability and likable personality increased the president's popularity. Now, the president was actually in weak health for most of his life. Now, this might be one of the reasons that they never ended up getting a dog. However, Dolly did have a pet macaw named Polly. Dolly, Polly, here we go. Polly would sit on Dolly's shoulder and she would often use the bird as an icebreaker, especially when some guests found themselves a bit shy meeting the first lady. Kids were known to actually gather outside the Madison's home to watch Polly. Sometimes Polly would have Dolly do tricks for all of the kids. Now, during the War of 1812, the British actually invaded Washington, D.C., and the president and Dolly had to evacuate the White House in a hurry. Now, with limited time and limited space, Dolly famously saved the iconic portrait of George Washington, and of course she brought Polly as well. Now once taken uh, to safety, Dolly arranged for Polly to be taken to the French consulate for a short time to be sure she'd be okay. Now macaws can easily live for 50 years or more as we know, and it was rumored that Polly outlived Dolly, but there's no actual evidence to support this. The first lady passed away on July 12, 1849, and there's actually no mention of the bird after this time. The answer to today's trivia question, on average, how long does the process of metamorphosis take a caterpillar to transform into a butterfly? On average, metamorphosis takes about 18 days for a caterpillar to turn into a butterfly. But in harsh environments such as deserts, the process can actually take years. Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Sam from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Sam says, I have a problem with my dog listening, especially getting her to come back to me. Now, I know you talk about treats on the podcast, but I really don't want to have to rely on food to get my dog to listen. 
how can I get my dog to listen, uh, listen better, but not use food? Okay, so look, Sam, I, thank you for the question, but I, you may not like my answer today. I'm just gonna be honest. You should be using food. It's that simple. You really should. It's not something you have to rely on forever if you use it correctly, but it is something that you should be utilizing. I'm the first to admit, I didn't used to use treats. I used to be very anti-treat many years ago when I first started my business, and the whole reason I'm not anymore is because, well, I have a better understanding of what a treat is. Look, maybe you need to go back, I'll be honest, just go back and listen to some of my segments on positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and all that kind of stuff, food motivation. There's a lot of great segments out there for you to check out on this subject because it comes down to this. It's this simple. If I have two ways to reinforce an animal, why would I use one? An animal is going to learn, theoretically, right, twice as fast if I can reinforce something twice as much. Like that, that's the most basic way to look at it because that's what it is, you know? Um, I, I get it. I get why you don't want to have to use food. I totally understand because I've been there. But here's the thing. Too many people use food as a bribe and that's why you're feeling that way. And I, 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 I hear you, you know? I don't want to use food as a bribe. And there's a huge difference between using food as a bribe and using food as a form of reinforcement. Reinforcement has to come after the fact. And if it comes after the fact, then it's going to just strengthen a behavior. If it comes before the fact, it's not really strengthening anything, it's just a bribe, you see what I'm saying? So if you can utilize food correctly, you really need to be. It's that simple, Sam. You really need to be. It's not even if you can utilize food correctly. I know you can. <laughs> so you should be. But look, it's, it, it really comes down to that. I have two forms of reinforcement, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. And so what you're saying is you want to rely on the concept of negative reinforcement and punishment, right? Apply a punishment, remove it. Apply a punishment, remove it. And through trial and error, your dog figures out, okay, every time I do this thing, I get a punishment. Every time I back off, the punishment goes away. I'm going to stop doing that bad thing. You're not wrong. But the likelihood your dog is going to want to keep doing the right thing is not going to increase unless you do something to increase it. You see what I'm saying? So sure, punishment and negative reinforcement get the dog to stop doing the behavior you don't want. But if you want to increase the likelihood of them doing the right behavior again, you better use some positive reinforcement. You better reinforce, and you can't use negative reinforcement in that moment. Just, there's nothing to, to, to utilize that. So you have to use positive reinforcement. Now you could do a good boy, maybe like, there's all kinds of different positive reinforcement. But in this scenario, we're specifically talking food, right? Because that's what you're talking about. So that's what we're referencing. Um, but just for the record, for all my listeners, <laughs> positive reinforcement unto itself is not food, okay? Po there are many different kinds of positive reinforcement, depending upon what the situation is, the motivation is, all of that stuff. Food just happens to be one that's almost always a motivator, okay? That simple. Always, always going to increase behavior, almost always. All right, so Sam, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the long answer, long run here, but you kind of have to see it from every angle. It just that's the reality of it. If I'm not giving my dog a reason to increase the behavior I like, then they're just not as likely to want to keep doing it. It's not saying they won't. The punishment and negative reinforcement might be enough, but I can tell you, might be enough. You see what I'm saying? Might be. But I can damn well guarantee you if you bring primary reinforcement into the picture such as food and you increase and, and you, you you start positively reinforcing with food stuff you like and it's going to increase the likelihood your dog's going to want to do it again really quick before we can move on to the next question here sam i'm going to give you another little example when i first walk in with a dog at a consultation that i've never worked with i start really basic really basic 
All right. Normally the dog's jumping on me or barking or whatever. It's pulling this way or that way on the leash. When I le- Usually I leash them up. I have my treat pouch on and I wait. I wait. I might use a little correction here, a little correction there, depending on what's going on. But I wait. I don't really, I don't talk to the dog. I don't ask him to sit. I wait. And eventually the dog finally goes, well, screw this. This isn't getting me anything. Bouncing around and acting like a lunatic. And then they sit down and relax. And then I go, boom, treat. (laughs) Reinforce that. And all of a sudden they get up, they start jumping on me again. But this time, instead of three minutes of going nuts, it's only about a minute. And then they stop and sit down again and go, wait a second, this guy gave me a treat the last time I sat down. Sit, boom, treat again. Dog's gonna go, whoa, mind blown. I just sat down two times in a row and this guy gave me food. Every time I jump all over him, I don't get a damn thing. Which one is your dog going to wanna choose? But let's look at the scenario in a different light. Let's say I don't use food. And so all I do is kind of correct and ignore them and then they sit down. And they sit there and they're relaxing and they're giving me the behavior I want but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. No, no food. <laughs> I might say, good boy. And then they jump all over me again and they sit down and they go, good boy. And then they jump all over me and they sit down. That's usually what's going to happen. They're not going to want to sit down because I'm not giving them much a good boy. That's fun and all, but they get good boy all the damn time. And good boy is affection. And affection is what we call secondary reinforcement. Primary reinforcement is always going to speak volumes. So do you see what I'm saying? In, in the scenario with no food... The dog has no motivation to continue sitting there. Why? I'm not getting anything out of this. What's the point? There's literally no reason for that dog to continue sitting there. But if I keep reinforcing it and strengthening it, that dog is going to keep sitting down. Eventually, they relax and lie down and totally give up and just calm down. I've had that happen so many times at an appointment, at a consultation, and then the owner looks at me and goes, I've never seen my dog relax like that. Because you've never taken the time to reinforce it with food. All right, Sam, I know that was a long answer, but there it is. Proof's in the pudding. Uh, You have to use food. Get yourself some treats and a treat pouch. That's your solution. Next question. This comes from Emily from Ohio. Emily says, hi, David. I have two dogs. They're really good pups and are really well-mannered. Walk nicely on leash with a nice loose leash. Just all around, they're really good dogs. Um, I take them for a big walk every single morning, and after the walk, they come back and they'll sleep most of the day. Now, I work from home, and they just chill with me all day. But then my husband gets home at the end of the day, and after they say hi to him, they start playing a lot for like at least an hour or two. They always do it when he gets home, even though they've been sleeping all day. I even remember my dogs doing the same thing when I was a kid with my dad. Why do they do this? (laughs) Emily, good question. This is a common thing. Yeah, you know, look, it's competition is really what it is. And there's a couple, there's a couple aspects to this, right? Um, you're home all day, so you're not as exciting to your dogs as your husband is. It's just the truth. And like my wife's the same thing. Like they get so excited to see my wife. Um, and my dogs do the same behavior, right? Uh, they'll, they'll play, they'll show off a little, right? People go, oh, they're showing off. They're showing off. What they're really doing is actually competing for affection. Believe it or not. Yes. Because that's what dog, that's what predators in general do. It's what playtime is. It's kind of, it's learning competition because competition is a natural instinctual part of a predator's life, including ourselves. Um, We do the same thing. Think about it in social settings, right? We do the same thing. We walk in a room, maybe we put on a little more of a front because they're seeing our friends and haven't seen them in a while. And maybe, maybe you lost five, 10 pounds and you're trying to look good and you're going to, right? You're competing for affection. You don't even realize it. I love psychology. Um, so you see what I'm saying? They're competing a little for your husband's affection. 
It's a normal thing to do. Uh, it's a normal behavior. However, if it does get a little, it doesn't sound like that's what's happening here because you didn't even say it. And you said they're, you know, good, good well-behaved, well-rounded dogs. Um, but, you know, if it gets a little out of control, if it gets a little feisty, sure, I want to keep it in check. I want to ensure uh, Nemo used to do this a lot when either one of us would get home. Um, now, I'm home with him a lot now more. But, yeah, when either one of us would get home from somewhere, Nemo used to really rile up the other dogs and try to, I mean, he'd, he'd, get, he'd get feisty. Nemo had issues, right? We've talked about this. Nemo had issues. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore. He plays very nicely. But, um, yeah, it's it's a common competition thing. Now, can I prove anything beyond that? No. Uh, is it jealousy? No, it's not jealousy. Jealousy takes self-awareness, guys. It does. So it can't be jealousy. Therefore, it's competition. It's a predatory instinct. Uh, and really, when it comes down to it, guys, it, that's survival. Like when you think about it, competition is survival in, in the animal world, in the animal kingdom, even something as a domesticated animal such as a dog. Uh, so yes, it's it's a instinctual competition, uh, competitiveness. And the fact that your husband tends to be more exciting to see because they get to see you all day. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it stinks, but that's how it is. So there you go. Hope that answers your question, Emily. Thanks for the question and thanks for listening. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. You're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. And don't forget, our YouTube channel is launching next week. You're going to want to come back and check it on out, guys. Yes, YouTube channel launching next week. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And thank you to my patron, Regula Wright. I appreciate all the support. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.